0: You're at base camp in the middle of a bleak stretch of Antarctica, many miles away from any form of civilization. You're there with a team. You've been there for months. You all know each other pretty well. Trust one another. You have to in a remote environment like this. But one night, you hear your sled team barking. You go to investigate. The dogs are agitated, growling and snarling, and you're not sure why. The next morning, doors and windows were left open, letting snow in, and no one can explain it. Your team is on edge. They're questioning each other, pointing fingers. And then you notice a colleague you thought you could trust with your life He looks more or less the same, but he's not himself anymore. (laughs) You might remember the 80s movie, The Thing. An evil alien is lurking among the ice fields of Antarctica, and it has the power to take the shape of humans. The Thing can commit all kinds of evil just by capitalizing on our basic belief that familiar things won't do us harm. Of course, a trick like that can play out in real life, too. Happens online all the time. This season, we're exploring the horror stories that haunt our digital lives. The malware, the hacks, the identity theft that keep security heroes awake at night. And this time, we're looking at Trojan horses, the cyber attacks that depend on human behavior, our want and need to trust. I'm Saran Barik, and this is Command Line Heroes, an original podcast from Red Hat. I'm definitely weary of emails asking me to do something like confirm my password, but even people who should know better can fall for these scams. We're going to figure out exactly how hackers capitalize on human psychology to make that happen, and how and why it can lead to so much destruction. Last time, we learned about viruses and worms, where the goal is rapid, far-reaching attacks. But the focus of a Trojan isn't speed or reach. It's access. Think about the original Trojan horse. A team of Greek soldiers spills out of a giant wooden horse that the Trojans thought was a gift. A Trojan horse attack is going to roll right up to your front door and announce itself. It could be a fun game, a friendly email, a tempting bit of clickbait. The most appealing, familiar things are offered up. And it's only once we let down our defenses and invite them in that we realize they're harboring an enemy. Once inside a device, Trojans can steal identities, capture keystrokes on banking sites, disable antivirus software... Even allow your computer to become a zombie soldier in some hacker's botnet. Some get to work automatically, and others wait patiently for instructions from their creator. What they all have in common is that element of trust. And as we're about to find out, trust can be a powerful and a very dangerous
1: thing. Things aren't as bad as you think. They are far worse. The more you know, the more scared you get.
0: Steve Wiseman teaches students at Bentley University about white-collar crime with a focus on cybercrimes and identity theft. From his perspective, those in security software are in a difficult situation. Trojans keep evolving to match every new technology. Security teams have no choice but to respond on the fly.
1: They are always playing catch-up.
0: But there is something universal, something constant about Trojan attacks, and that's the fact that they all take advantage of human trust. And they do that by using
1: social engineering. Social engineering is using information uh, that can be obtained in, in all kinds of places to lure someone into doing something. So if I get an email that says, send me your username and password for your bank, well, I'm not going to trust that. However, if I get one that appears to come from my bank, so they they leverage personal information to get you to trust them. Social engineering just is good old-fashioned digging, getting information, and using that to get people to trust them. And my motto, trust me, you can't trust anyone.
0: Bit harsh, but... Point taken. Human trust is the magic ingredient. But how does that play out in the real world? What level of damage can a little social engineering really do?
1: When Zeus first came out, people weren't thinking of security and defense that much.
0: Zeus was a Trojan horse, one of the very first Trojan malware packages. And by 2009, it was a pretty prominent security problem. The thing about 2009, as Wiseman just said, is that it was a slightly more naive time. Most people weren't on social media. Online banking and even email were new concepts for many.
1: People didn't see it coming.
0: So imagine, in that more innocent time, you open your laptop and see an email. A message from a federal tax authority say, looks legit. And the subject line reads, Notice of Underreported Income. That can't be right, can it? You better check. And that's it. You clicked on the link in that email, and a Trojan entered your computer. Now it waits there, totally unnoticed. You don't even know you've been attacked. But next time you hop on a banking website, Zeus records the keystrokes of your login and password. The stolen info is then shuttled back to the hacker who can tap into your bank account. Money gets funneled to so-called money mules who move the cash around. And the rest is your basic crime world shenanigans. Back in 2009, the tech world was not ready for Zeus. $70 million were stolen before software was developed to combat it. And there's no big courthouse conclusion to the story of Zeus the creator was never found. In fact, whoever they are, they open sourced their code, allowing others to adapt it and make their own Trojan malware.
1: That basic Zeus code that he provided to everyone, we had defenses on that. But by providing that code, he sort of had the house half built. So other cyber criminals could use that valuable information to develop and evolve newer versions. And that's what we have seen.
0: Tens of millions of PCs were ultimately infected with some form of Zeus. And the Trojan technique, capitalizing on basic human trust to gain entry into a computer, became a mainstay of cybercrime.
1: This was something that should have been a wake-up call for many people, and for many it was, but not enough.
0: The world was growing more connected, and along the way, we became used to updating passwords and confirming contact details whenever prompted. Just getting through the day meant putting trust in the entities that reached out to us. And we rarely stopped to wonder who was behind that random email, who had taken the form of a trusted friend. That was good news for malicious hackers.
2: A lot of the times, the only clues you have to go on are what's the logo, what's the name, what does the website look like where I'm downloading this from.
0: Josephine Wolf is an associate professor of cybersecurity policy at the Fletcher School at Tufts University. She describes a world where Trojan attacks are part of a larger arsenal that criminals use, a way to leapfrog past security innovations.
2: The goal is to make you trust or want it enough that you're willing to sort of go to the trouble of saying, you know, yeah, I know this was just something I downloaded from the internet and my operating system manufacturer hasn't vetted it and I don't know exactly where it's coming from, but I still really want it.
0: Security specialists can build all kinds of safeguards into systems. But if a user really wants to believe they have, say, inherited $60 million, just click here, or caught the eye of someone who'd like to go on a date with you, open and see. They might go ahead and follow those prompts.
2: That's the goal is to get that initial foothold in a targeted system and circumvent all of the layers of protection that we've built up to try and make that harder to do.
0: In a world where personal information is often available for anybody to collect online, that means Trojans aren't always generic. Advertisers have learned to personalize and nano-target their messages to your specific profile. The creators of Trojans can do the same.
2: I think that's sort of the scariest and most effective form of Trojan attacks, is to see somebody who's willing to take the time to figure out, OK, who exactly would be a person you would expect to see an email from? Who's a person who you wouldn't be able to sort of just ignore or say maybe this is something suspicious?
0: The goal with these targeted Trojans is, of course, to offer you something so appealing, so designed to meet your personal needs, that any lessons you know about digital hygiene just sort of fade. And because we're all human, anybody can be tempted.
2: This past year, while I was at home, I taught a Zoom class and I'm going through my email inbox and I see there's a message there from a colleague at Tufts saying if you've experienced any hardship this year due to the pandemic, Tufts University has applied for some funds to support any relief efforts among faculty and staff. You can click here to apply for it.
0: Think how targeted that is. It's an email supposedly from one of Wolf's colleagues and it's offering her money, but not in a bonkers you won the lottery way. It's a really believable way. Funding for hardship during the pandemic. It's a very carefully designed promise.
2: People could very easily fall for it. It was reasonably official looking in its formatting, and its style. It was a moment when that was a real thing that was happening. Workplaces were offering relief funds of this nature. People try to take advantage of particular moments, particular current events, particular employers and access to accounts to install Trojan malware and gain access to computers and accounts.
0: Did Wolf, who specializes in this stuff, fall for it?
2: Um, so I was curious enough to click through to the phishing website that the email linked to. And once you do that, you do get some other clues, right? You can see, okay, what domain is hosting this website? Is this really a Tufts University website? Um, Things like that. I would say one of the things that was interesting about it was a lot of the times when we talk about this kind of email message, it comes from a slightly wrong email address, right? Instead of somebody's name at tufts.edu, it will come from like, somebody's name at tufts. Ed or t-u-f-t dot e-d or something that's a little bit wrong.
0: That's the number one giveaway for most of us, isn't it? An email address that's just slightly off, maybe only one letter difference.
2: One of the things that was, I think, really scary about this particular incident was that wasn't the case, right? It really was coming from a Tufts.edu email address. But there was definitely a, a fair bit of work and effort that had gone into formulating it. So there weren't as many obvious clues as you would hope. There weren't as many of the clues that we sometimes tell people you should look for this when you're reading your email.
0: The level of care and even cynicism that is needed to avoid these deceptions can sometimes feel over the top. We don't like to treat everything as a potential scam. We don't like to assume every new encounter is a con. And largely, that's because for most of us, we don't think we have anything on our computers worth stealing. Why would an elaborate Trojan attack happen to me, right? It just feels paranoid.
2: This is a fight I have, say, with my parents all the time, right? They say, you know, what, what's interesting in my email? Who would possibly bother? That sort of that psychology is actually a huge hurdle for people who are trying to get users to take cybersecurity seriously. And I think there are a couple things um, that are really important to keep in mind in response to that. One is that it's not just about protecting yourself, right? Your computers, your accounts are often uh, an intermediate point for attacking other victims,
0: Wolf works at a university, for example, and universities are favorite targets for cybercriminals. Not because they want Dr. Wolf's personal lecture notes, but because universities communicate with governments and private companies.
2: And it will look like that traffic is coming from a place that that company or that government communicates with all the time and a place that that can be trusted. So the first thing I'd say is really when we're talking about security, we're not just talking about do you care about your data? Do you want to protect it? We're talking about do you want to be a good citizen? Do you want to be sort of somebody who's contributing to the overall security of the internet writ large and the security of everybody else who's using it, not just you?
0: Even if you don't care about being a good citizen, you probably have more to protect than you think.
2: Probably you do some online banking. Probably your payroll is operated through a website and an online account. Probably you manage important functions in your life through websites, and all of that is vulnerable.
0: So there are two things here. First, a lot of people don't take security seriously leaving them open to malware like Trojans. And second, those same people are importing more and more of their lives into digital spaces where Trojans work. Maybe most importantly, our financial lives have moved online.
2: As there's more money changing hands over the internet, then there's perhaps inevitably much more interest in how do you steal that money and how do you steal all of the information that can be turned into money in that space.
0: We're not just talking about phishing emails anymore. Trojans are evolving to meet the moment. Steve Wiseman mentioned a new avenue for Trojan attacks that, frankly, have me a little freaked.
1: There have been some banking Trojans that have infected apps, legitimate apps. You know, we always tell people, only get your apps from the legitimate stores. But even when you get your app from the legitimate store, it can still be infected.
0: That made me wonder, what is the new frontier of Trojan horses? This con, as old as the ancient Greeks, what shape does that wooden horse take today?
3: Humans, historically, have not been the the best partners of themselves. The root of many problems start from there.
0: Yannick Frattantonio is a senior security researcher at Cisco Telos. Before joining Cisco, he spent years in academia researching Android security. He taught a course that focused on mobile security, one of the first. And that gives him a unique perspective. He sees how new tech is often a space where we're naive, where we might not be thinking about security issues. For example, all the apps we keep downloading onto our phones. Each one is a potential Trojan if we aren't careful. We've made things safer by centralizing app delivery through app stores that try to block bad actors. But it's still possible for Trojans to get through. You've probably had the experience of looking for an app and then wondering, there are a few similar ones here. Which one
3: is the real one? This stuff can still happen. I think maybe three, four years ago, that you would look for WhatsApp and you get tons of results with Many apps that looks like WhatsApp with the same icon and so forth, and of course, many of these, there were not many malware, malware, but was, you know, adware, so tons of advertisement and so forth. But this gives you an idea that even if there is a central store and Google and Apple check for this stuff, of course, there are techniques to, to sneak in.
0: More than just an app's thumbnail can be faked, of course. An entire shadow UI is sometimes developed a fully developed fake version of an app that you trust. Fred Antonio has found two different versions of this trick.
3: One was, say, traditional phishing, where basically I show you something and this UI looks like the bank application or your Facebook application, but it's not. It's actually a malicious app, like somehow mimicking uh, the the UI of Facebook. And, uh, you know, the user would be lured into putting username and password, and I would steal the password like this.
0: The second type of trick is something Frat Antonio calls clickjacking.
3: If you place this fake OK button exactly on top of where you want the user to click, then this click is going to go through the OK button, go to the bottom, and the bottom maybe is enable this permission.
0: In other words, the malware is hijacking your click. You thought you were clicking OK to one thing, but you've just granted access to maybe your contact list. Whenever we use apps, we're inviting new software, and sometimes malware, into our lives. And think of the kinds of permissions we give to our apps.
1: Can I have access to your camera? How about your email? Hey, mind if I track your location?
0: We can mitigate that risk, though, by not giving blanket permissions.
3: Now we switch to a runtime permission model, which means that at runtime, after you install the app, after you can use the app a bit, they ask you, hey, can I please have this permission?
0: But remember, criminals are always looking for ways to work around new limitations.
3: The bad guys switched to, you know, try to find a context that somehow legitimized their request.
0: In the same way that email Trojans began targeting personal details about the user, a Trojan app can be custom-made to request the permissions that are desired.
3: For example, if the bad guy wants to get my voice and wants to record my voice, what would the bad guy do? of having a fake voice uh, recording application. And once he asked me for the voice permission, uh, I'm going I'm to give it to it.
0: Fred Antonio feels that for most people, keeping track of your permissions is a key way to guard against Trojans in the app space. Attacks that circumvent permissions are incredibly expensive and are more likely to target specific state sponsored actions against particular people.
3: I'm talking about journalists, activists, and, um, and things like this.
0: Most of us can take comfort in the fact that bypassing security mechanisms on our phones has become much harder to do in even the last 10 years, especially with constant security updates. Still, every user has a responsibility to be skeptical about the apps they're using.
3: The biggest thing is not to install random apps from the store. Uh, that's a stupid advice in the sense that People have these phones because they want they want to install random apps on the store. So I guess the follow-up on this is: if you really, 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 really want to install random apps on the store, try to be reasonable in a sense of try to have a uh, you know a reality check on what you're asked to do.
0: Every new form of communication has a custom-designed Trojan of its very own, and you are the final gatekeeper. So, how did those poor guys in Antarctica ever survive the thing? They didn't just hope it had stopped taking over their team members. They devised a test. They found a way to check everybody who looked human until they found an alien imposter. That's exactly how we defend ourselves against Trojans. We stop acting with blind trust and start looking deeper at the entities that reach out to us online. Because here's the thing. These cods, these Trojan horses, they need your permission before they can do their evil deeds. There might not always be a magic bullet to take them down, but a little personal responsibility and common sense goes a long way.
1: Hey, it's me. Check out this awesome link. Nope.
0: Nope. I'm Saran Yadbarik, and this is Command Line Heroes, an original podcast from Red Hat. Next time, we're exploring another nefarious bit of software, the logic bomb. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, follow, wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, keep on coding.
1: Hi, I'm Jeff Liggan. I'm the Director of
0: Engineering for Edge and Automotive at Red Hat. I'm really passionate about bringing open source innovation to edge computing. There's so much potential out there and so many different devices and use cases, from cruise ships to in-store kiosks to factory floors, from cell towers to literally outer space. No all-in-one edge computing solution could possibly handle every operational or technical challenge, so edge needs the interoperability of open source. It needs radical collaboration with partners and constant innovation from the upstream community. Red Hat's Edge portfolio brings all of that together with proven platforms that are consistent from cloud to edge so customers can support their most challenging use
2: cases without lock-in. Find out more at redhat.com edge.